Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 85 of NerdPod Generations. As always, I am one of your hosts, Steve Taylor, along with the lovely Al Jetson. Hello, sir. Hello, friends and enemies. It's good to see you, buddy. How's it going, man? It's going. It's, I, I, it's, it's going. going. I hate that we're two weeks into 2023. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, 2023 is not a real year to begin with. <laughs> it's like, it's not a real year. That's one of those fake years that you hear about You know what, movies. though? The start of this year makes me appreciate this show. Oh, yeah. Because all of the nerdy stuff that we watch and we talk about is like our escapism. Oh, yeah. From things in life that are stressful or crazy. Yeah. And I do love this. Yeah. And no, I, I love this. this. Don't get me wrong. This is this is what keeps me going. It's like the oasis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if I didn't have this, I, I really wouldn't have anything going yeah. on, and that's not acceptable. So this is what keeps me going. Well, folks... If it keeps us going, it should keep you going. And if this is your first time listening to us, once again, this is episode 85, meaning there are 84 golden episodes in our past. So please go back and listen to our complete back catalog because there are some awesome shows in there, especially our rants. Our rants so are the best. Rants. So many rants. We're going to have to make a rants um, like playlist of a some best kind. of. Yeah. That's, everyone's going to be, it's going to be so much Star Wars. It's crazy. <laughs> um, Star Wars and Spider Man. Star Wars and Spider Man Homecoming. So, uh, once again, if you're listening to us, obviously you found us somewhere, but we do mainly stream on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and we're hoping to really up the ante this year. We're going to be, we were just discussing, it looks like our next reaction review will be Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We know what we said, and we're going to hold to it. Yes. It's just that, like, also, and we're going to talk about this, there's a new trailer, and, uh... So let's roll right into that. Okay. Yeah. Usually we start each show, what have we been watching, playing, reading? And I know you were going to bring up this for your part. The new trailer dropped a few days ago for Quantumania. And it... We just rewatched it just now. And uh, the, the, the last kind of whiff that I got off of it is if this was around the time... If they, if they came out with something that looked like this <clears throat> around the time of like... The original Ant Man, mm. I'd be like, "Oh my god!" I'd be losing my fucking mind. This is what I would love for an Ant Man story. Is like, as Kang, and they throw Modok in there, which I saw uh, a sneak peek of a few weeks ago because I love toys. Yeah. <laughs> they released what the toys are gonna look like, and now they have this, and it was like we all knew Modok wasn't gonna look like Modok because yeah. that was never gonna happen. So this is like a, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. This is fine. I don't like Modok as a character, so I don't have yeah. any, I don't have any money <clears throat> in that bank. It's it is what it is, and if you don't like it, there's a Patton Oswalt robot chicken show Which is awesome. you can love instead. It is so awesome. Um, but, like, so I look at this, and I'm like, oh, these are so many things I love. There's an almost comic-accurate Kang costume. It looks great. Oh, and it's, you know, all these other ideas. The cast looks great, and all these, you know, oh, they're going to do all these fun ideas. But that's if it was 2015. Exactly. And I look at this now... And I look at last year and the Thor Love and Thunder trailer and the uh, Multiverse of Madness mm. trailer and the Black Panther trailer and I look at what those actually ended up being. <sighs> I just, I don't have a bad feeling like I've had for those movies. I don't think that they're actually going to land this. Yeah. It's definitely not going to be what they're telling us it is. Well, I what made me think about what you just said, and I have a really bad feeling about this, um, is if this happened in the first Ant-Man, totally would buy into it. Yeah. But the fact that part of the story is that he believes a 
creepy looking guy that runs a kingdom in the multiverse after everything that has happened to them in mm-hmm. all of his superhero it's like no one in their right mind would believe this guy and at the end of the trailer where he's like we had a deal it's like really yeah really after thanos and everything you went through yeah you're gonna hold on to that oh we had a deal a little cliche storyline they like to do in these movies yeah it's like no it if was... it was your first adventure yes uh-huh. i could buy it but after everything you've been through to believe that this guy is going to be able to give you your life back that you lost in the snap was stupid i understand the <clears throat> impulse to have that be the storyline I hope that's not the whole storyline. I hope that's like the first act storyline. And by act two, he's already betrayed them. I don't know. But like, that's what I'm saying is that I don't believe Marvel would do that. I believe Marvel would have that be the entire plot of the movie. Because by the trailer, it looks like they set up the final battle. Yeah. It's set up finding out. It's set up that it sounds it's an Ant-Man movie. There has to be a heist. <clears throat> and so uh, it seems like there's going to be Kang and then this other kingdom that seems to be ruled by, I presume, Bill Murray. Yes. That's the way it looks. Because he's supposedly a bad guy, so yeah. he supposedly is doing so, evil things. So there's going to be like this push and pull between <clears throat> them, and Kang's going to be like, if you can get me this thing from Bill Murray's castle and bring it back, then I'll give you the five years you lost with your daughter. Yeah. And like, I get the, I get the impulse to have that be the plot. I just, I hope it's more than that. I hope that's... I hope that's the, the, the bait that they're trying to lure us to the theaters with yeah. and that it ends up being more than that. If it ends up just being that, I'm going to be disappointed because like with all the Ant-Man movies, I'm going to have to do a video on this in my basement at some point. Because like with all the Ant-Man movies, there's a great story here somewhere and you're just missing it in an effort to be more populous. And I just it drives me so crazy. I really wish that they had done something like this in the first place. Yeah. Or that this was the second movie, where instead of, you know, we have to figure out a way to get down into the quantum realm and blah, 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 <clears throat> and all these other things, it's like mm-hmm. Kang was already hanging out with Jan or something. Like, I just, I just, yeah. I, there, it, it takes too long to get there. They skip over all the best story beats. And I just, ultimately, I, I kind of wanted this to be a Heroes for Hire. <laughs> yeah. You know, not for nothing. I kind of, when are we going to do Heroes for Hire? Where is Heroes for Hire? Because I feel like that should have happened by now, too. You have Ant-Man, Scott Lang. You have Iron Fist. You have Luke Cage. You have Misty Knight. You could do White Tiger. You could do Power Man. Like, you could do so many characters, and you're just not. Mm -hmm. I don't get that. Well, and I don't know the answer to this, but something that also bothers me is I know since the daughter has a bigger role in this movie, they wanted to get a named actress, which Catherine Newton, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, she played Lucy in Detective Pikachu. I almost wish they would have got the daughter, who I believe was the same. Was she the same? No, she wasn't the same girl. But the adult daughter from Endgame. So there have been three Cassie Langs, mm-hmm. is what you're telling me. Okay, so That's what I was saying is... <laughs> That's disappointing. It's... it's a different actress, and it's like, well, you already had an adult actress that played the daughter. Yeah. It's like, and she, I mean, she's not in a, like, well, again, she's only in, like, a couple scenes, but she, I think she did a great job. Yeah. Why not just get her Why not back? just keep going with her? Because it throws you off when, I can understand wanting to get a older actress because you went from a little child 
to an older actress in that five-year snap. But you already did that. Exactly. So now that you have the older actress, use her again. Yeah. I, I... It throws me off by seeing, because I still look at, at the uh, Catherine, and I'm like, she is Detective Pikachu. She's Lucy. I just watched, and I got that stuck in my head. It's like, she isn't what I know the daughter is. Well, and like, especially because, I mean, I, so I'm, I'm going to... This is conflicting because I, I prefer when they keep casting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't like it. There are certain casting things that get under my skin. Mm. It's like um, <clears throat> I one of the reasons I could never get into Peter Capaldi as the Doctor was because he was already in Doctor Who. Yeah. So you can't be in Doctor Who and then become the Doctor. It's just you can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. And yes, they have a line about him being like, I've seen this face before. And I don't fucking care. Mm. You were already in Doctor Who. You already got to live mm. your dream. I'm sorry. You wanted to be Doctor Who, but you got to be in Doctor Who. Whatever. So I, I I don't like recasting without need. So I, I also don't forget Amy Pond was in that episode too. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. But there's a there's a history with that, and she didn't play the Doctor. No, she didn't. Um, most of the companions appear early on as a separate character, with the exception of like uh, Donna and mm. billy piper rose. rose um but like jenna coleman shows up as a different character the impossible uh, girl yep uh martha Adele, does. actually yeah um oh Mar- yeah martha jones does martha She's, shows yep. up as her twin sister or cousin or something mm-hmm. something they explain it away um and then amy pond shows up in ancient rome yep <laughs> no reason as part of the cult and then she comes back to play amy pond mm-hmm. years later um a little doctor who fan Which, fair. To keep on this tangent, yeah, I have to admit, I am very excited about this new... Um, the trailer looks great. The trailer for the new Doctor looks amazing. Yeah. Which, I, I'm very happy to see David Tennant again. Very happy to see Donna back. And the new Doctor, I cannot wait to see what yeah. he can do. But the problem, the only problem I have, and this is super nerdy, after the Doctor Donna storyline ended, mm-hmm. the whole basis is... She absorbs all of uh, a, a bunch of his abilities and all of his memories, and it's too much for her brain. Mm-hmm. Where he has to make her forget he even existed or anything, or her brain would literally fry. And they came up with an unbelievable ending to that storyline. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know this. Yeah, the yeah. written ending where he goes to her deathbed and whispers in her ear, she remembers and dies. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So as much as I'm looking forward to that, it kind of ruins that. It and I be had... as good as that. Oh, so great. Because that's the thing, is that when you're in a companion of the Doctor in anything from season nine on, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, to certain degrees, uh, Sarah Jane also. I mean, she got her own show. So. But that was the thing, is that she went on her own adventures. But um, a lot of the more modern companions kind of get punished for being companions mm-hmm. of the Doctor. Something very terrible happens to them in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Piper is sent to an alternate dimension. Martha, With a duplicate of the Doctor. A duplicate, but a human version of the Doctor, yeah. who's also a little feistier. Uh, and then you have Martha has to spend the rest of her life with Mickey. With Mickey. <laughs> with, oh um, it is a badass Mickey now, but it's still uh, Mickey. Is he, though? Is yeah, he? Yeah, it's true. Um, Donna, though, can't remember all of her adventures, mm. and that's kind of her... Torture. Yeah, and so I, I'm very curious to see how they land mm. this, but I agree. The thing is that fans have had time to kind of move in and create their own headcanon over you know things mm. and decide what they like and what they want and... You know, we'll see. If this ends up, I will say this, if this ends up being one of those things where it's similar to 
the the, the third special that he did mm-hmm. where he regenerated into Matt Smith. If it's something like that where we're constantly dancing around Donna as just part of the plot, I'm going to be less interested. <laughs> That's less interesting to me than kind of like finalizing what's going on with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a very tight rope to walk. It's interesting that they've gone this method. I'm, I don't have doubts in them. I have a lot of curiosity. I really want to see how they do this. I just want to see David Tennant running around against yeah. the Doctor. That's and he just... looks like... He's picking up right where he left oh, off. He like does. he he slides into that character like a suit. Like oh, he's the best. Oh, he looks he good in it best. and everything. Um, all right, so so Ant Man and the Wasp. Ant Man and the Wasp. We're gonna see what happens. <clears throat> I if the last year of Marvel wasn't so bad, and if the last like four movies hadn't been so middling, where like the best of them is probably Shang Chi, and mm. then Multiverse of Madness, and then from there it's deep declining returns well, once again for me even ant-man or even um endgame wasn't my yeah, favorite so yeah. uh yeah and then you're rolling into like really when you said the last year it really was the last few years because yeah. the only thing marvel has made that i can say i enjoyed is werewolf by night i think between that and um falcon winter soldier falcon winter soldier, falcon winter soldier was good and, and wandavision had its moments yeah too. i think those two were great mm-hmm. uh, WandaVision, my thing is always just the first two episodes drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. They're so slow. They need more plot mm-hmm. and less nostalgia for a time period that many people, but not enough people, are going to be mm-hmm. connected to that to have it be that much of a nostalgia bomb. It just, it was, you needed more substance mm-hmm. in those episodes. Um, I loved almost all of Falcon Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. My biggest thing was the Sharon Carter bullshit, which I'm still waiting to find out if she's a Skrull or not, because I call bullshit on everything that happened with this movie. Yeah, that was dumb. Um, but otherwise, I had no issue with that. I really liked it. It did the one thing that no other Marvel thing has done, which is approach the world as it stands mm-hmm. after the snap. Nobody else has done that yet. Moon Knight was good for five episodes, six episodes. Eh. Yeah. Um, but everything else... It's just trash. It's it's more bad than good. I can find things that I like, mm-hmm. but by and large, a lot of it's really bad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's so bad that it makes me angry. You know, I'm still not happy about how Black Widow went. That's still frustrating as mm-hmm. hell that this is the movie you delivered. This well, is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little bit of the Marvel method to give an early take on we're going to finish with Willow, the final two episodes, it seems like they're following the Marvel method. Mm-hmm. And the Marvel method has got to go. They mm-hmm. need to they need to find a way to break out of this trend that all Marvel movies have done since, let's say, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. not including like the dark ones like Infinity War, which I still think is a masterpiece because it is miserable, yeah. that whole movie. Um but it's like, okay, so we need over-the-top special effects, rock and roll music, horrible comedy, and just bad writing. Horrible, badly timed comedy. Oh, horribly timed. Like, it's not just that the comedy is frustrating. We're going to get to this with Willow, uh, which I think we're going to, again, we're going to finish off Willow today. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about the rest of the season and kind of come to a conclusion on how we feel about it. <clears throat> so we're going to you know, close that, that book out yeah. of last week. But I there's one line in this during the final fight where the the crone and Alora Dannon are fighting and she the crone is trying to convince Alora Dannon to come to her side and she's going on and on about why she needs to trust the worm 
And she finishes it by saying, he's eternal, bitch. And I'm just like, and there it is. That's it. Yep. That's <laughs> it. Okay. Like we can't get it because that, you just stole my whole thing. Of, okay. So, Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. We're going to see. I, we will see it. We will give our review. We're going to find out what happens. I'm really, I just don't trust Marvel at this I don't. point. They used up so much money in their bank, and now they're like, we're going to build a new wing on the house, and I'm like, it's going to look ugly as hell. I'm yeah. not going to give you money for this, man. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But I'm not going to get my hopes up. But then we give them money for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so me real quick, I, I watching, reading, playing, I have been attempting to get back. My, I have so many video games I need to play in my life before I die, and I, I'm like, i got to at least start. So I got back into Bravely Default 2 on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. It is... What I love about JRPGs, it is a grinder, and I can just sit there, turn off my brain, and just run around the map mm-hmm. and fight enemies. Yeah. And it's awesome, yeah. and I love it. So that's my thing, real short, because I knew the Ant-Man one was going to be a big one. Yeah. All right, so we got to get into Willow. Yeah. So we're talking the last two episodes of the season. Yes. And I am going to start by saying what you hear coming out of my mouth tonight is what... Star Wars fans should be saying about the prequels, the last three movies, Obi-Wan, and blah, 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 Boba Fett. Boba Fett. You can love a property, but you have to admit when something is shitty. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to be, because I love Willow. I give this series a solid D. Mm. That's how much I hate how this series, mainly the last half of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Is so bad. And we need to start with... Oh, episode 7. It okay. is episode 7. Beyond the Shattered Sea. So Willow and the Scooby gang get to the Shattered Sea. Mm-hmm. And they're like, alright, we gotta walk. Yeah. Horrible acting. Horrible writing. Horrible directing. Because of course there's that quick cut and all of a sudden there's a house! And you're like... Yeah. It's, it's like the beginning of the previous episode when they were running from the Gales. and Or no, a couple episodes ago. And it's like... How do the gals catch up to him? Why, why are they not fighting? Like, why don't they follow? What's going on? It was. It's so. It's cut together yeah. so poorly. This entire thing with the shack is something that the more I learn about, the more frustrating it becomes. Mm. Because it. So what happens is they get to the shack. They go inside. They're like, "Is anybody here? Nobody's here." And they meet Walter Donovan. This was what I was about to bring up: is that he's played by fucking Julian Glover. Yeah. But you, nobody knows his name. I don't know his name, but. He, you know his face if you've seen Indiana Jones or Star Wars. Yep. He plays the villain in Last Crusade. Yep. He plays General Veers in Star Wars. And <clears throat> he... I didn't recognize him, but now that I know he was there, I'm like, this is what you had him do. Because yeah. he plays this kooky old man who can't remember why he's there. And he's just been adventuring so long, he doesn't even know what's what anymore. And so like they're in this, this hut, and Kit needs to recover. And... You know, they they spend the night, there's weird food, there's kind of an Indiana Jones Temple of Doom dinner scene of, like, he serves them porridge and it has something wriggling like in it. Like worms or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, okay. And then they wake up the next morning and everybody's kind of just catching up and figuring out what's going on. And then you see a second version of the old man walking around in the background and Graydon hits him with a frying pan. And then it turns out that the Gales were running this little B&B. And this was where I started to lose it. I was like, um, why? Why didn't they kill them in their sleep? Why? 
why everything? Yeah. Why are they doing this? Why didn't they act on their plan? Why did the second one come out using the same disguise? Why? Why? It's why so any bad. of this? I don't understand any of this yeah. as far as storytelling goes. It just... What was the purpose of this? What was the point of it? It... The point of it is that they get a stagecoach that's pulled by a really cool salamander monster, mm-hmm. which was great. I love that. Yeah. And I, they have a chase scene with the stagecoach, a little bit of a you know middling fight scene, not great, not bad. Yeah. And the rest of the episode is them crossing the the sea, and it's them riding <clears> on this train, and then at night training. And, and then they, oh my god, that training montage, I was banging my head. I'm like, this is. Horrible, because once again you have Willow, who early on in the move in the show would do one spell and almost die. See, this is my thing. And here he is shooting multiple spells at a Lord Anon and being like, eh, "I'm good." So this is my thing: is that uh, a, a little bit of backstory? When I posted my Instagram uh-huh. post for the last week's episode, I went looking for an image from Willow, and mm. I found one of him using the flamethrower. And I had totally forgotten about the flamethrower. Oh, yeah. Because I fell for the spell that they cast on us, which is that Borman says, what's that? Willow pulls out a flamethrower, a full-on flamethrower. Not a magic flamethrower, a actual flamethrower. Yes. And uses it against the gales when they're running into the wildwood. And Borman says, What's that? And Willow says, don't worry about it. And we literally never see it yeah. ever again for the rest of the show. And nobody talks about it ever. Yeah. I agree with you. I like the training sequences. Why did you set it up that Willow is this enfeebled man who can't use magic because it's going to kill him? Mm. And that was the plot for the first four episodes. And now it's not an issue. Mm. Like, I want to like these training sequences. I like the dynamic of having Kit and Jade on one side and Willow and Alora on another side. And there's a lot of character building and growth on all sides. Everybody's kind of getting ready for what's to come. And I, you know, the characters are growing. They're fighting less with each other and more kind of growing together. Mm. There's still hostility, but it's like, you know, they still love each other. And I'm like, okay, I can like all this. What the fuck is with Willow being able to use magic now? Mm. Because you've told us two things. One, he can't use magic because it's going to kill him. And two, he can't use magic because he's not a great sorcerer. Which is it? Yeah. <laughs> because it's a, he, it seems like neither right now. I'm looking at this and it seems like neither are the case. And so it's like every time I want to like something in the show, I want to like the fight with the Gales. What the fuck was that shit with the shack? Yeah. I want to like the, the, the Shattered Sea where it's just the sea that's permeable it has like a a sandy bottom that you Mm. can walk across but it's also magical so you can't cross it unless you're walking across it Mm. and like all these other things i like all these concepts stop doing stupid shit like once again and kind of talking about last week i want to like these training montages too but once again it would have been perfect time to use the big orchestrated willow theme this was but they do the stupid fucking thing they do with the modern music it's like it doesn't fit into this world. And it, it's bothersome because they, in the last episode, they used the theme twice. <clears throat> yes. And once in, like, the recap and once in the climax. And I'm like... But they use it for, like, a second. Where was this? Yeah. Where was this? Where was it? They use it as a motif. Fine. Where was it? Yeah. This should have been going on the whole season. Instead, since episode, what, it's got to be five, The Wildwood. Mm-hmm. They've been really leaning into this whole idea of 
like, oh, everybody is going to love the music at the end of the episodes. Let's start using that throughout the episode. No, 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 no. It's great because it's only at the end of the episode. If it's throughout the episode, it overshadows everything that's going on. Just like any time you use, you go too far with the anachronisms in terms of how they talk to each other. There are just moments where they go too far and they break away from the way that people traditionally talk in this world. Exactly. And you're just like, I get it. You're doing it for a joke and that's great and whatever. But I just wish you would commit to what this is supposed to be instead of that's the problem. And that goes into my, my thing. What I said about like with star Wars, where you have a property that has a tone to it, a feel to it, a look to it. If you're going to make something, even if it's 25 years later, you gotta at least stick somewhat to that. Yeah. It just, it's not willow. It is not, and from a Willow fan, this is not, yes, you might have Willow in it, but it's not Willow. I get, it's something else. I get the flavor of the world more than you do. I, I definitely get a sense of the world being the same as the movies. I just, it's like there's this aftertaste of like, well, we've advanced the world. And it's like, okay, no, that's fine. Could you tell me how long it's been? Because unless it's been hundreds of years... Some of this shit doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. So you can either tell me it's been hundreds of years or you can rationalize some of these decisions you've made mm. down to a more swallowable level. Mm. But this, this middle ground of like, we're not going to address shit that's happening. We're not going to address weird things that are said by characters. We're not going to address the timeline of events. We're going to be all over the place in terms of whether a character is here or here or here. You know, like, Borman, these last two episodes, I like how his stuff finished, but there's a lot of moments of people saying, we don't believe you, Borman, we think you're a good guy. And I'm like, I don't think he's a good guy. There's nothing... What has this man shown you at any point in this adventure that makes you think he's a good guy? He's either constantly complaining or undermining what you're doing. And I just, I, I, I like Borman as a character. I would not call him a good guy. No. And, you know, when we get to the end of the Shattered Sea episode, we finally get a resolution to Kit and Alora's back and forth, which I agree with you, I think should have happened earlier. The fact that it got pulled so tight. Well, and, and the something that also has been bothering me about these two characters is, okay, so this world is supposed to be similar to, like, I don't know, 500s or yeah. six 700s in, in, in our world where you have the castles and the knights yeah. and all this stuff. They are in their early 20s. Yeah, Women in their early 20s don't talk like modern women in their early 20s being spoiled brats who are always bitching and complaining about shit. That's just not realistic. Like, it to me, if you're going to have it in this world where typically, realistically, these women are close to middle age Mm -hmm. they're gonna have a little more intelligence they're gonna have a little more nuance nuance you know a little more mature Mm -hmm. they just sound like kardashians i didn't get that as much i i found that their back and forth definitely strained that that line of uh anachronism because like there are times when mad mardigan doesn't sound like a knight you know like in the original, he doesn't yeah, sound but like a knight. But he sounds like a rogue knight. These two sound like just they're whining and, and snapping at each other and all that. It's like, that is a CW show. Yeah. 
That's not how characters in this world at their age would act. Well, it reminds because me. Because real, realistically, that's the age of Joanne Wally Kilmer's character mm-hmm. from the movie. They're her age, yeah. really. And she's running an army. Yeah. These two don't look like they could run a dog kennel. Mm. And she's running an army. And it's like, why would you waste two huge characters like this with such awful writing? It's interesting because the rationality that the story gives us is that both characters are running away from that idea. You have Kit who is trying not to be... She doesn't want to be like her mom. She wants to be like her dad. She wants to go yes. off and have adventures. She doesn't want to be a head of state. She doesn't want to run armies. She doesn't want to do those things. She wants to go off and have adventures. And you have Alora, who just wants to kind of the same thing. She doesn't want to be important. She wants to be able to just live a quiet life and not be important and not have people fussing and running around after her, either for good or ill. Uh, and so like you, the, the rationality for why neither of these characters come off in the same way is because they're 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 not mm-hmm. but at the same time i do wonder couldn't you, they have put that in a better light by leaning more into the mm-hmm. character the way the characters talk because you look at someone like jade and jade doesn't have that same kind of issue even exactly. though she still has kind of the same moments of frustration and, and anger yes she doesn't have that same kind of knack to her voice. Exactly. I don't, I don't know if it's that they don't have an accent. I don't think it is because Tony Revolori is also not doing an accent. And I don't find him to be particularly punching and, yeah. and frustrating. I don't find Kit and Alora's voices to be frustrating or their dialogue. I just find that their dynamic keeps going around in the same circle. Yeah. That's what frustrated me most well, about I look their at, dynamic. Well, Jade, you nailed it. Jade yeah. is how a character at that age would act yeah. and speak. Regardless if royalty or whatnot. But what you were saying, and I agree with you, they are trying to run for something. But then I will go back to Game of Thrones. They did that properly because they had Arya go through that, but at like 12. Yeah. And that would make more sense than in your early 20s having these Mm. kind... You know what I mean? It just... Everything in this world seems like it's taking place... 10 years later than what it should be. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that's what's throwing me off. Because once again, I I appreciate that all of these shows and all of these movies nowadays are trying to revolve more around female characters. Mm-hmm. Totally on board with that. But the problem a lot of them are doing is they're writing them shitty. Like they're mm-hmm. not writing them as strong characters. They're writing them as... Weak characters who find their way to be strong. But it's like, I would rather them have started with, like, maybe not a Laura Dannon because she worked in a kitchen and she thinks, but, like, can't make her a stronger character. Make, you know, I just, I wish they would have just done a better job making them stronger characters. I think that, to your point and that, mm-hmm. that idea... My issue with Kit is the reset that happens after they get rid of the troll mines. Once mm. they leave the troll mines, there's this reset to her character of, I, I fucking hate Alora, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we, we've done this. Yes. We've done this over and over again. This is why I'm going to, before anybody yells at me, I'm going to do it. It's on my to-do list for 2023. I am going to go back and finish Breaking Bad. But I stopped watching Breaking Bad after about four seasons because... Jesse went through rehab and got clean and all these other things happen 
and then they just reset his character. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, what the fuck was the point of all of this? And it's the exact same thing here. You get through those mines, and Allagash says this thing to her, mm -hmm. and it sets her off once again, and all of a sudden, I hate Alora. And I'm just like, I fucking hate this dynamic. Yeah. And that's one of the best things that happens, is that by the end of the Shattered Sea episode, she finally realizes what her role is in all of this. And she and Alora go over the edge of the world together, mm -hmm. literally. Because uh, that's the way that you enter. And we need, to, we need to interject in here that during the episode, the prince is getting wooed by the crone. This is another issue. This is a... This is a mm, this whole thing makes no fucking sense. None. This whole thing makes no fucking sense. So there's this whole dynamic of Eric... Wait, the last time we saw Eric was this weird... Is it a hallucination? Is it not a hallucination? Where he's like walking in a circle pretty much. Where he was walking in a circle and then he's crawling through the city like he's exhausted. And I'm like, I don't fucking understand. Mm. And now there's this weird water and he's like, oh, I got a drink. And it's like, is this a hallucination? Is this a reset to the timeline? What's happening here? And I think ultimately we're not supposed to know. It's mm. supposed to be magic disorientation bullshit. But as soon as he drinks the water, the crone appears and now the crone is this beautiful young woman, and she's, she's a princess and... from a kingdom. Which you find out that the the gales, when they were running the shack, said they were knights from that kingdom. Yeah. And so that right there, as soon as she said she was from that kingdom, I'm like, dude, it's the crone. Yeah. And so you have this back and forth of like she wants to go into this room that has this big pillar of light, and Eric's like, I don't really think that's a good idea, and he's complaining about this world and wanting to get back to Alora. And she's like, oh, why are you hitting on me? And he's like, I'm not hitting on you. And she's like, you're such a jerk. And he's like, I don't know what I did. And then they decide to go in different directions. And the next thing we see from Eric is him once again crawling back like he's been beaten. Yeah. Being nursed back to health by the crone. And I'm just like, I would have liked to have seen how we got to this point. Yeah. Because I... What the fuck is going on with this? Oh, the ending line? of this episode was the worst. I just, there were so many moments of just like, what is fucking going on? And then the end of the episode. Well, is, Lord Dan and Kit make their way. Make their way into the city. They make their way to the square, and, and Eric's standing there with a fresh new haircut. Yes, because the crone, <laughs> the crone has her uh, her uh, barber's license from yeah, Supercuts. She she uh, she's got her clutches in him and and convinced him. I to remember I looked locks. over I looked over at Audrey and I was like. When did he get a fucking haircut? See, like, that, was the, that was the show that he turned evil, was that he cut off what he loved most, which was his hair. Oh, it was which so represented dumb. his personality. And then you have Kit and Laura Dannon, who don't really know that he's evil, but they do the shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder stern look at him, and I'm like, you have gone all this way to come find him, and your initial thought is, let's be skeptical. No, I agree, though. I think that if he showed up looking like that after weeks of them traveling to save him, because they think he's in a dungeon. They yeah. think he's just somewhere being hanged by his fingernails. Like, you show up and he looks like that and he's just waiting there kind of passively. Mm -hmm. I'd be nervous. I'd be like, this I'd be nervous, wrong. but doing the expendable shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, give a stern look like you're about to fight. I don't that know. didn't make much I, sense to I me. thought it was fine. I thought uh, it was an appropriate no, reaction. I, was, I hated that ending so much. Especially the super fine. cuts. I thought it was fine. I thought the haircut was no. good. I thought it was interesting. It's it's very low-level, like, cinema. Mm. Like, oh, he's doing this, and then that means this. And this. Like, it's, it's very, very low-level. 
but it's an effort. I'm going to mm. give them points for being a real effort I to do that. I hate the show so much. They are. They have to be now. It's at the point where if they get a second season. Oh, not if. Are they definitely have a second season? Did you not watch the uncredit sequence? No. The uncredit sequence is little spoilers. Uh, the uncredit sequence is the book that we've been looking through closes and is put back on the shelf and there's volume two and volume three. Oh god so there's gonna be two more seasons of this if this it's it, it is shit on my love for this franchise enough that from now on out because i know we'll review the second and third seasons they need to hit perfection see i didn't hate the oh, finale I I didn't hate oh the finale. God, I, I, I was there were elements of the finale that again, as with everything with this show, I was frustrated by. But I didn't hate it. See, I didn't like it. And then when I heard the crone say "bitch," that is the. It's like why? It's like going into a room and turning the light switch off. Yeah. As soon as that happened, I was like, I, I'm done. So I'm so, done. Totally so the episode, done. So the first half of the episode is Kit and Alora who have a great chemistry now like this is the thing is that once they finally started working together they have a great chemistry i'm like where was this three episodes ago like yeah, let's get to this just... sooner let's get to this faster come on i think you got to cut out the mines and the wildwood i think you got to cut all that shit out yeah. looking back at the season that is where the the greatest lull is is just like this this uh sag in between and it's like okay same with the curious stuff i'm glad that we finally get payoff for the curious mm-hmm. don't get me wrong and we're gonna get to that but <clears throat> that was a very long walk to water. <laughs> like that was oh, a, a super long walk yeah. to water, and I just don't know. Uh, it's it's um, we're gonna get to it because it's a it's a conflicting kind of pile of things. Anyway, so the the first half of this episode is Kit and Alora talking to uh, Eric. Eric and yes. Eric is now fully in the thrall of the crone, and they go in, and the crone is like, "It's all good, baby." It's all good. And I do like the scene of Kit and Alora where they trade off who's talking to Eric and who's watching the monsters. I really like that scene. See, I... Where they circle around and, and they're like, do you want to handle this one or do you want me to handle this one? Whenever Eric brings up a certain argument, they're like, do you want... Like, I'll take care of this. Like, I I really like that. I thought that was fun. But see, to me, that, once again, it's not tonally right. It's not... Like, that is something I would expect to see in, like, Arrow or The Flash or a show like that on CW. I could see Mad Mardigan pulling that shit. No, I could no, easily no, no, see no, Mad no. Mardigan. Mad Mardigan was much. I think you need to go back and rewatch that movie. He was so much more of a badass. In I think reality. that is a badass move. That was not a I badass move. I think that is move. a badass that move. That was so because it's like, what is the Chrome doing? If it was Cap and Tony talking to Kang the Conqueror, would it not be cool? Would it not be kind of cool? Not be kind of cool. I don't know. I think. I think the problem is this is the Marvel method. Yeah. And I am so tired of the Marvel method that even seeing it in something else makes me go, I, I don't like it because it just doesn't totally fit. Yeah. You know, they're talking to this evil and you end up seeing her true form of the crone, this hideous evil being, and they've been fighting knowing that they can't... Do what they did by walking through the light into where the worm is. Uh-huh. And it's like, everything was just so stupid. It, like, it shouldn't... This was the time to where they should have had the fight. Well, we get to the fight. But the fight wasn't even, like, that good a fight. Well, so what happens is we have 
the temptation of Christ, <laughs> if you will, yes. where they go in and the crone is like, just check it out for like five minutes. It won't be that bad. And they go in and it's this mystical spell. And, and then, of course, Lord Dan is like, oh, I put a wedding dress on and oh, I'll get married. And I, for a minute there, I was like, don't make her this stupid. Don't make her this stupid. It's totally obvious that this is not reality. Don't make her this stupid. And same with Kit. I'm like, that's not your fucking mother. Please don't make them this stupid. Luckily, Kit snapped out of it. Lord Anna eventually snaps out of it, but they both... Well, so this is this is my thing, is that I like, again, in, in concept, I like what we're doing here. Mm. I think that it, it works. It's this idea of you're finally being told everything you want to hear from the one person you want to hear it mm. from. And I like the Kit dynamic of she's having this conversation with Shorsha, and they're going back and forth, and she's being told everything she wants to hear. And then Mad Mardigan's voice calls her out of it, and she kind of just, you know, realizes what's going on. And finally really gets the idea that she is there to not mm. just be... Uh, it's more than just being a protector for Alora. It's being everything for She's Alora. Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, I gotta go. And... As she's going, she gets turned into stone. And meanwhile, while this is happening, Jade and Borman and uh, Grayan have all jumped over the cliff. Yes. And now they've entered the Immortal Memorial City. There's a great moment of, like, Borman being like, uh, it seems like we're all going to die. Does anybody want to make out? Want to have sex? That, even though I didn't appreciate the humor, I did giggle at that a little bit. That was bit. good, right? Yeah. That was pretty good. And, and then when he at, said, I offered to kiss, I know you wanted to he, he looks at both of them like, eh, eh, yeah. anybody, anybody? And I like that. I thought that was fun. Yeah. I thought that was good. And the the sneaking into the city, I was less impressed with. Where they're like sneaking in, they've decided to disguise yeah, themselves with Ash. And Borman's like, "We got to sneak in because you've never sneaked into an undead city." It's like you got to sneak in. And Graydon's like, "Well, if we're hiding from them and they know that we're here, why are we hiding?" Yeah. And it's like this. So this is all pointless. That's <laughs> what you're telling me is that this is all pointless. And uh, so they get turned into statues, and Kit gets turned into a statue. And Alora is, we're told, turned by the crone. Mm. And she goes, she's having a wedding to Eric. And uh, she just very suddenly decides she's not into Eric. Yeah. And I was just sitting there like, this needs to be written better. Because this weird turn of just like, I'm not into you. Yeah. It just, uh, and it's like, I get that what you're going for is like, you're not into him because he's possessed by the crone. And also you've grown as a person. So you're not necessarily as in love with him now that you've seen him again after all this journey and mm -hmm. all these other things. But you're not actually doing that when you have these lines of dialogue. That's what you're going for. But that's not what you're landing on. And also, what the fuck was the purpose of all of this? Why did we get to the whole wedding thing? What Was that just for the audience? Was it to pull a fast one on the crown? Within bad. the world, within the world, what's the logic of doing yeah. this? And, you know, I just... I, I found it conflicting. Because I didn't care for that particular part. I like most of the rest of the episode. There are, again, issues yeah. with a lot of the rest of the episode. Because the rest of the episode is just fight scenes. Um, it's now the spell's broken and Willow comes in to save the day. Another kind of thing I'm going to nibble at is, uh, there's a lot of men saving women in this yeah. when there's supposed to be a lot of empowered women. There's a lot of empowered women who are cast under a spell of some kind and a man has to come in and save them. Yeah. So you have Mad Morgan has to save Kit. Willow has to save Laura. And I'm just like, I thought the whole purpose of this was that they were going to be independent. See, I agree. And they have them do... And, and the problem I have with them going into the the fantasy world, let's say, where the, where the worm is, where 
the whole series, they have been kind of built up knowing not to fall for this shit. Mm-hmm. So for Kit to go through there and to think her actual mother was there. Mm-hmm. That, and same with the Lord Dannon when she's talking to Eric. That Both those things, it's like, why are you making them so stupid? Mm-hmm. They have been through a ton of shit already. They should know this isn't real. Because mm-hmm. they've been told the Krona's going to try to use your family and your memories and all this stuff against you. That's what really bothers me because I I know it's it's a it's an overused thing in fantasy movies where it's like oh they're gonna try to trick you by playing a, a, a version of a family member or whatnot, mm-hmm. but it's like when you use the whole series as a warning building up to it, and then in the last episode have them both be like oh mommy oh Eric I just didn't like that it's like those characters knew better than to even go through there, let alone go through there and believe what they're seeing. Yeah. And especially when Allure Dannon, I thought when she walked by and saw all of her friends standing there stone-faced, making no look over at her or nothing, I thought that was the scene where she was going to snap out of it. Mm-hmm. But it still took. This is my thing, is that she snaps out of it on her own, apropos of nothing, seemingly implying that she was never under any spell in the first place, making me ask... So why are we doing Yeah, this? why'd you put the dress on? It's a great dress. It's a great costume. Yeah. It looks beautiful. I don't understand the purpose of all but of But then this. once again, when you think, okay, she snapped out of it. Now we're, she's going to pull the wand out herself. Nope, Willow comes in. Yeah, Willow has to come and save and her. And it's like, yeah, I don't. I don't get that. I don't get it. Um, so once the spell is broken and they're all kind of out of it, uh, the the stone statue people are brought back. Yep. You could have also done something like Kit. You know, not, not it's not necessarily that she doesn't believe the crone, but just like she like Mad Mardigan when when Mad Mardigan's outside the castle and Beth Mortis like I'm gonna turn you all into pigs and <laughs> Mad Mardigan's like fuck you you're gonna turn yeah. us all into pigs like I, even something like that that shows that she's still her father's daughter. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it's. I agree that this it wasn't great, but I'm glad that she snapped out of it. I just wish that it hadn't been. Yeah. Mad. I like that it's Mad Mardigan because we need Mad Mardigan in this in some way. But I also can't help but look at this and say, there's a lot of men saving women in this. Yeah. And I I don't know. How and I, I about still that. say from the first episode, this is where they had a missed opportunity because they could have made Kit so much like Mad Mardigan. Mm-hmm. Which the thing is, he, if you think about it, he wasn't really joking, like comedy, when he did his funny stuff. He was just a sarcastic douche. Mm-hmm. You could have easily made her sarcastic. And when she's like blowing off Laura Dan and doing it in a way that's not like claws out, yeah. like I'm in high school, more like, you're just a stupid cook. There was, there was a little too much daddy issue. Yes. Of you're the daughter my dad wanted more than me. Mm-hmm. And they just keep playing that harp a lot. And I'm just like, it, at some point we need to grow past that. And we yes. do, but it takes a little too long. Uh, so the final fight is you have Laura versus the crone, and then she's getting beaten, so we have to have a man step up. Uh, so of course. Graydon steps up and gets his ass handed to him. Also, one more thing. Oh, uh, we forgot to mention this. At some point, 
<laughs> all of this, I don't remember when it happened. It kind of just happened. Graydon became a sorcerer. Yeah. It just with happened. His flute. It just happened. Apparently, he has enough of an emotional connection with his flute that he can use it as a magical conduit. And he's been watching Willow train Alora, so now he can use magic to the same degree that Alora can, less so because he's not the chosen one, but also can yeah. use magic. And I'm just like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not going to give you that yeah. one. I'm not, you can't just have this moment where Graydon turns around and fires a spell at one of the gales and blasts it out of the sky, which, by the way, we never see that gale again. No. Did it die? Did he kill it? And even spell? in that final battle, you don't really see the gales too no. much. Like, they're fighting, but you don't... Well, The is, way they cut it, you don't see a lot of them. This is what we're going to get to, is yeah. that... So the, the setup for the final fight is Raiden <clears throat> is killed by the crone. Or... Thrown in time, something. Thrown th- into the worm. Into the worm zone. Yeah. He's, he's cast away. He's seemingly killed. All the characters think he's dead. But he's, he's just dispersed. He's yes. atomized... Uh, possibly teleported mm. everybody's fighting uh and the gales are there and borman is like you know what we're gonna do what we're gonna do is i'm gonna give the magical armor to kit, to kit. and then i'm gonna fight the gales inside and i'm gonna shut the door and we never see what happens we just see borman exit later covered in a strange goo yeah and like there was a joke about him Going out of the world the same way he came into it. Naked. Naked and kicking ass. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, he's covered in goo like a newborn baby. But it's not blood. It's just goo. Yeah. What the fuck happened? Which looks like that goo that was in the pool. Yeah. I'm, I'm confused by a lot of the things yeah. that happened here. Also, if the conduit by which Eric became possessed by the crone is the liquid, we know Kit had to have drank some of it when she fell into that pool of it. Um, uh, yeah. um, uh, hmm. anyway the fights are pretty good i like the actual choreography of the fights we're pretty good uh i think that we get to this interesting point where uh laura and the crone are fighting and now laura can just use magic with her hands like yes. i again i'm not gonna i don't want the spiel about like oh now she believes in herself or any of these things or she's fighting for great fine i'm just gonna give it to you it's fine she can mm. just fight with you know, there's a joke about her shooting lightning out of her hands, and by the end of the episode, she is she shooting lightning, lightning out of her, out of her hands. Um, and I did notice, don't think I didn't, that uh, this is a reversal of the Harry Potter end sequence. Oh, yeah. Because Alora's magic is green, and the crone's magic is red, and I'm just sitting there like, pick different colors. <laughs> these colors are taken. These colors are way overtaken. Yeah. Everybody uses these colors. I use these Since colors. Since Jedi, they've used that Yeah, color. so, like, pick a different one. Pick yeah. Anything else. Have one be purple. Graydon's magic is purple. Have Alora's be purple. Have it be red. Have it be whatever. But, like, uh, don't have red versus green. Yeah. <laughs> I get the impulse. Have orange versus blue. We haven't had orange versus blue. That's a cool go. look. Yellow versus blue. That'd Very be cool. halo. That'd be cool, right? Yeah. Then you have a, a fight between Eric and Jade and Kit. And Kit, the, the Curious Armor has some magical property to it, so it can only work if you're the truest form of yourself or something something. weird like that um they never really go into it they just like it doesn't work for borman but it will work for kit but only at this time but maybe later and it turns into a really fucking cool suit (laughs) it was 
if you think about it, it's very reminiscent of Mad Mardigan suit of armor. Yeah. When they're fighting yeah. the dragon. It has that hanging chain. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like the female version of his armor. And it has the Eric sword and the wrist. Yes. I love that armor. I thought that was so fucking cool. And like all the fights that Kit has in it are great. And I was like, this finally, this is what I was going to say about the Curus. It took so long to pay off. Oh my God. The payoff is great. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say you got to cut it. But it took so much time. It took so much time and distracted from so many plot lines. There were so many moments where we were in the middle of something except that we weren't because it was actually Borman looking for the Curus. Yeah. And it just it was something that we came back to so often. And the payoff is great, and I don't want to cut it because the payoff is awesome. But we got to retool how this is all put together. Yeah. Because See, to me, the payoff, I, I did like the armor. I just thought it was on the wrong person. That the only person in this show who was ever true to themselves from the beginning was Jade. Yeah. The armor should have gone on Jade. But I know it's kids because Man Mardigan, all that, but if you go by what the armor's saying, mm-hmm. where it's the true because she's she was conflicted all the way to the end, where yeah. Jade is the only one that stood by who she was and what she was. Yeah, and what she was. And it's like in. if anybody that armor would have worked for, it was Jade. Yeah. So that's why it's like, of course it was going to go to Kit because she's one of the leads mm-hmm. and it's she's Mad Morgan's daughter. But I just think it would have been, it would have had more of an impact if it went on Jade. I think it works <clears throat> better on Kit because of that growth and you know kind of wavy mm-hmm. line. Whereas Jade, like the biggest fault in Jade's character is that she meets her sister and kind of forgives all the terrible things the Bone Reavers do. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just kind of like, oh, it's fine. My sister leads the Bone Reavers. And not like, uh, this is a bigger problem than I thought. My sister leads the Bone Reavers? Mm. This is a huge problem. Um, so, like, you could have a, a Captain America can't lift Thor's hammer until he admits to Tony that he knows Winter Soldier killed his parents kind yeah. of thing. Of, like, she can't wear the armor until she kind of squares that circle. But I think it does make more of an impact with Kit, not just because she's one of the main characters, but because she has had that up and down character growth. I do think that you could have still had that impact and had her character growth be more linear and less up and down. Oh my god. Yeah. Like I just I just got so tired of the Kit doesn't believe in Alora. She sees something to make her believe in Alora. I guess I'm gonna believe in Alora. Something happens to piss her off about Alora. I'm now I'm angry. Mm. Rinse repeat. All yeah. season long. And it just I can't do it, man. But then Alora blows a hole in the crone. Yes. And the crone kisses Eric, putting her power into him. Yes. And then Alora once again saves. Well, so Willow has a stone in his staff. Yes, that he breaks and... And he gives to Kit, and Kit uses it to draw the crone out of Eric. Out of Eric. I guess is what happens. Um, I just... It it was fine, and then they, they all leave. They're like, here's my thing. They literally leave. Yes. Like, that's literally the end of the season is... Everybody looks around and they're like, oh, that was fucking crazy, right? Everybody okay? We're all okay? Kit, do you know how to get out of that? I don't know how to get out of this. No, I have no fucking clue how to take this off. Uh, Is everybody going to be okay? We got to go home. How are we going to get home? Oh, we usually just figure it out. Cut to. (laughs) Wait, no. No reaction to Graydon's death. Well, there was a reaction to Graydon's death. It's Alora holding the flute and saying she's going to give it back to his parents and be like, oh, he's... But it's like... That's the only reaction. It's like yeah. one of the main characters has died. Yeah. 
There's no grieving. Yeah. There's just a little passing. And then there's a moment where Alora looks back and kind of has that wistful look of, Graydon's not dead. I can still sense his spirit somewhere here. Oh, my God. And uh, we get a, a nice little scene of Graydon seemingly in the future where Alora has turned mm. and is now villainous. But Kelly pointed out very smartly that it could just be a, a distraction by the crone. Yeah. And in the background, you have the two-headed dragon that spews butter. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Oh, my God. That um, was the member berry of member berries. But um, I'm just sitting here like, this doesn't solve the one central issue that you <clears throat> really, 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 really <clears throat> drove home over the last two episodes. You can't leave this place? You can't leave. Like, yeah. you leave and you come back. Like, you leave and you walk and you walk forever and then you end up back at the city. Also, the only way everybody else got here was by crossing the Shattered Sea. And then they fell off a giant cliff. Yep. And then the, the, there was also the element of the magic of the Shattered Sea, which wouldn't let them cross unless it was under certain circumstances. So it's like everybody's like, oh, we got to turn around and head back at one point. It's like, mm. how are you going to fucking do that? And so like we're left with the character saying, oh, we're just going to go home. And we're going to cut to them at home. Yeah. And it's never going to be addressed. And I'm just like, but this was a whole thing was that they can't leave. It can't just be that now the crone's dead and so uh, they can leave the immemorial city. Like, that's not, that can't be it because yeah. we see something at the end that makes us think that that's not the case. What is this? You can't it have was... it just be them leaving and it's not a problem. I would have taken a deus ex machina. I would have taken Sorsha riding a fucking dragon. But, like, give me something yeah. that explains how they leave better than Borman saying, we'll figure it out. They were riding that that um, salamander uh, wagon for months, Kit says. Yeah. They lost track of time they were riding it for so long. How are you going to get home? <laughs> What's your plan? It can't just be we're going to cut away and, and, you know, use the power of movies. Yeah. And can't be the answer. Yeah, no, I'll be honest. The ending was the perfect ending for me for this season. I don't know if I've been as disappointed with something as much as I was with this show. I'm still more disappointed in Rings of Power than I am in this show. See, and Audrey, that was the first thing my wife said when it ended. She goes, what well, was it better than Rings of Power? I said, no, there's a difference. Rings of Power stayed somewhat true to the source material. It just was boring as shit. Mm -hmm. This took the source material and just took a massive shit on it. And that's the difference to me. Because it's like, you have... Rings of Power is tonally on board with Lord of the Rings. It's just not the best writing. Boring as hell. Just, you know, it still had moments, though, that we... When we did our review, which folks go back and listen to our review of Rings of Power, we still had positives to say about it. Yeah. For the most part. Like, there were still issues, there were things we didn't like and whatnot. But this is so tonally different. Mm -hmm. So different in every way from the source material. That that's what makes this worse. I feel like, to me, the difference is status. Lord of the Rings is this high, Mm. high end. It's like a high elf. Willow is a bard in the, the fucking tavern. Oh, absolutely. You know, so like there's this there's a different level of expectation. So when there's bad writing in Lord of the Rings and there's like Isildur dies. Yeah. 
He didn't die. He didn't die. We, we know he didn't know die. We know he didn't die. You're not fooling anybody. Yeah. He didn't die. Even though everyone should have died when that volcano Or volcano the volcano thing. Yeah. How great would that have been? I was thinking about this recently. How much more impactful would that have been if Galadriel survives that because of some magic bullshit? Like she puts up a magical shield of some kind yeah. and it protects her. And everyone else who was there dies. Yeah. And so you have like Elendil and the Queen and a few other people that were on a hilltop out of range or, or in a different direction. But like the elf and Theo and his family, they're all dead. All those people from Mordor, they're all dead. dead. All the elves that they brought, they're all dead. Yeah. All the men from Numenor that were there, they're all dead. Like how crazy would that be? And suddenly like there's this giant crater in the second to last episode. Mm. Like I, that would have been better than like, is everybody okay? I can see a few skeletons around, but I also see a few people that yeah. like duck A little cover. dusty, a little yeah. dusty. But it's, you know, once again, I'm going to be super, like everyone should be, with things they love. Mm-hmm. Super critical. Like, you were Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. This was Homecoming to me. Yeah. This show was Spider-Man Homecoming because I do have such a deep love of, because even prior to The Lord of the Rings, Willow was my fantasy movie. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't read Lord of the Rings until after I saw the movies. Yeah. And so, to me, that didn't play any part in, like, my upbringing to where Willow was my Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah. that was my thing that I loved. Well, Willow is is Star Wars, but it's not in space. It's not in space, it's exactly. It's the same kind of fantasy, the same kind of storytelling beats, the same kind of characters. It's just not in space. Yeah. It has fantasy creatures instead. And I, I think that this... I give it a C plus. Okay. I'm not gonna give it a B. I I thought about it a lot. I can't give it a B because its shortcomings are very short. Mm-hmm. It it does have a lot of them. There's a lot of pruning and editing that could be done to make this better. Mm-hmm. And it's not difficult things to do. It's very easy, straightforward things to do. Um, there wasn't any like there were there were moments of frustration of like why is this happening and no explanation. But. I did like the characters a lot. I did like the world a lot. I liked. I did feel uh, more than you did that it did return to that world of Willow. Mm-hmm. I still got that Willow kind of feeling. It wasn't just because people called him Peck and all these other things. I I felt like there were real Willowy type elements to the fantasy here. I wish that they hadn't tried to evolve the world as much. Mm-hmm. I wish they hadn't tried to turn it into something it's not. You know have just a weird crazy evil guy running the mines and it's just a bunch of mindless trolls and he barks at them all the time and he sips tea while he barks at these trolls that's so much better than this ultra intelligent troll that you're trying to sell me i'm not buying the ultra intelligent troll Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense within the context of the show and no one acknowledges the weirdness of this intelligent troll yeah so what the fuck am i especially willow because for those of you who have seen the movie his number one thing is i hate trolls i hate trolls so he should be the first one to be like, how the fuck are you talking? Yeah. Like, he knows trolls. He fought trolls in that movie. He knows them. Do you remember the Nelwins that were enslaved in the mine? Yes. What happened to them? Yeah, There's what the, happened to, what happened to Jade's knows? sister? You know, like... like It's like, why create these storylines if you're not going to at least even acknowledge a payoff? There's there's a storyline in the last two episodes that is Willow wants to go home because he has a vision of Mims, his daughter, 
being killed. Yeah. Basically, the, the, the Shire's on fire, and all of the Nelwins are in trouble. And so he's like, oh, I gotta go home, and ultimately there's no real way for him to go home, yeah. so they keep going. Uh, and he has this really terrifying vision of her dead. <laughs> and the story is that Silas, the, the Nelwin that was with them, came back to the village, and he's like, well, he, Silas is dead. And she's like, we didn't know that Silas was dead. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fucking cool. We never get closure on it. Was it a vision? Was it a trick? Was it real? Was it fake? And that's the thing that I, I didn't like about it, is it falls in line with what Willow was warning them all, that the crone will try to use. Mm-hmm. The last person that should have fallen for that mm-hmm. was Will. Well, he doesn't really, because he ultimately does end up coming. He does end up coming back, but it's enough of one of those, oh, is he going to leave? He's not going to fucking yeah. leave. The show is named after him. There's a whole setup of, like, he's going to leave. Yeah, and it was like, dude, it's just like, I think one of the bigger problems I had is a lot of the story beats are just overused stereotypes. And it's it like, very stereotype if movie. you can't come up with new exciting ways that just don't do it like mm-hmm. i would have rather the show never existed than to make something that like the only thing that i really can say that i loved about this episode or the about this show was the gales in the beginning mm-hmm. i thought were introduced incredibly well and then never used properly again and the scene in the cat in bad mortis castle that episode all the way to the end, I thought they did a good job with it, and then they fucked it up at the end. But, like, to me, those are the only two things that I could say I truly liked about the show. Yeah. The rest of it, I thought was, the tone was off, the editing was way off, the dialogue a lot of times was not good, and I really didn't like Kit and Laura Dannon. And that, it like, if... That's the I don't central... think I'm going to be alone in saying that. Mm-hmm. And when you don't like the central two main characters, yeah. that's going to be a problem. That's the central conflict. That's the central relationship. That's yes. the central... And a lot of the conflict that didn't work is what you were saying, where they just continued on with this conflict. Yeah. And it's like, you got to resolve it. Yeah, You got to have them working, like maybe begrudgingly working together. But to continue to bicker fight? I would almost rather, and mm. I say almost because I'm not sure if I would, mm. but I would almost rather have an issue of like a, a three-way thing of like Jade is worried that Kit's going to fall for Alora or something like that. Like even if it'd be that, it'd be different. It'd uh-huh. be a growth of, of what's going on. It wouldn't just be the same thing, rinse, repeat over and over again. Um, I, I found it fun. I don't know that I would call it good mm-hmm. i would say the first few episodes are really really good i would say that then it gets extremely middling in the middle mm-hmm. and you know it's there's something to be said for the fact that the editing and the cinematography at times are so bad i thought they were doing an unreliable narrator thing mm-hmm. of like the narrator's telling you something and you believe it's true because it's the narrator but it ends up being not true, uh-huh. and it's just the author was fucking with you the whole time. I thought that that was maybe what they were doing, but I don't think it was. I think no. it was just bad filmmaking. Just bad. And there was just a lot of moments of just like, I need so much more from you on what is happening here, because I do not fucking get what's going on with Eric this whole season. You could have told it with his clothes. You could have told it with his look. You could have told it with so many ways. He doesn't have facial hair throughout the entire thing. You know, like... What the fuck is going on? And I get that there's an element of like, oh, it's magic. You're not supposed to understand what's going on. 
I still need to understand the rules of what's happening. <clears throat> what can and can't happen. Because I should be able to tell if something's a dream or a flashback mm. or a hallucination. I can't tell with a lot of these things. And then you just leave these kind of ideas around. Willow can't use magic unless he can. Mm. You know, Borman's not trustworthy unless he is, which he never is, but we're going to act like he should be. We're going to follow his lead too often. Yeah. And, and then Grayson can't use magic, but then he's a sorcerer. But then suddenly he's a sorcerer. Yeah. And, like, it, have it be, like, he still has part of the demon inside of him, and that's why he's connected to magic. Like, there could be cool shit you could yeah. do here, and you're just not committing to it. And I think ultimately that's what I found frustrating about the show, is that at times the adaptative ideas are great. Mm. I love the idea of Mad Morgan has these two kids that are kind of both you know, twisted reflections of who he is mm. as a person. And I thought that they really nailed that with Kit and Eric at the beginning. I don't know that it necessarily translated all the way through to the end. I think that that, especially with Kit, kind of like wore away into Kit wants to know why Daddy abandoned her. Yeah. A drum that you just banged way too often. Just all the fucking time. Yeah. It, especially because in the movie, Sorsha is a badass fighter who does become good at the end. But her whole life, she's this badass mm-hmm. fighter. She's still going to have part of that. And you would think one of the two children would take after her a little more. Cause she but a... they made them both take after Mad Mardigan yeah. in most ways. It's like, that doesn't make too much sense. Like, And I don't buy into the whole automatically, like, she wants to be this, like, stereotypical queen mm-hmm. and raise a stereotypical princess daughter. I don't. I never bought that from the beginning. It's like... That's not who that character was. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand at the end of the movie you see her and she looks more regal because they're going to... But you, it doesn't even explain why they're ruling this kingdom because when the, the people of Tiraslene get unfrozen, they're still why rulers. Do, why do they become the rulers? Why are they the... Exactly. How are they the sense. rulers? And so to me, like, it would have made more sense as if you made her like... Like, her and Mad Mardigan still being military-ish. Yeah. Like, but working for this kingdom instead of them ruling the kingdom. Yeah, they're like, they're the kids of the head of the Night's Guard. You Mm. know? And and so, like, they have been in the palace and they get special treatment all the time and all these other things, but they aren't necessarily royalty. Yes. Because I agree, that was one of the things that I, I still remember recently watching Willow and getting to the end and being like, why the fuck are they ruling Tira's yeah. lane? It doesn't make any fucking sense. It makes they no never fucking sense. Because they never show that, like, in the movie, they don't say they're ruling it. They just show them living with them. That's true. They just show them kind of... But they are kind of, like, the center of everything. Everybody's gathered around and... Yeah, but, I mean, I look at that more as... They're the ones that saved everyone's lives. Yeah. And they're saying goodbye to Willow, who saved everyone's lives. It's like, I can understand why they're, like, in yeah. the center... But to say, oh, you're going to be in charge now. It's yeah. like, I don't like that. Like, yeah. I, there's so many different ways they could have gone. Um, so, yeah, I stick with my D. I, and I, I might even give it a D. Yeah. Like a D fart. Like, yeah. it's, I, I was just so bummed. Like, I, I didn't hate it nearly as much, but I, I won't say that I was thrilled with all of it. Yeah. Not by a long shot. See, and once again, my reaction to this show should be all Star Wars fans' reaction to Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Not, 
oh my god, I love it, the fight, because I could be like, oh, the part in the castle where you see Cal, that's awesome. And that's very great. Yeah, but it's like, no. Uh, you have to admit when something drops the fucking ball. And, and here's my thing with Kenobi. If you want to sit here and say, well, it's great because the last fight is so good. The last fight between Ben and Anakin is so good. And I'm sitting here like, okay, no, you're right. The last fight is really good. As far as lightsaber mm. fight goes, it's really good. It's a really good lightsaber battle. Do you remember in episode two when Obi-Wan couldn't lift his lightsaber? Uh, that's why I don't like this And now series. it's like, what, three days later? This is like five days later and he's and... doing all this shit and he's fully reconnected with the Force. And it's like, <laughs> meanwhile, we haven't seen him meditating. We haven't yeah. seen him doing anything to earn his powers back. It's just something like, I have the power. It, it, that show was so fucking so bad. bad. And I don't, I don't see anything like that here. It doesn't have as many of the issues as something like She-Hulk where there's a level of expectation. Mm. There's still a level of expectation. But it wasn't really until the trolls came along that I was pissed off. Like, that was the moment I was like, okay, you've taken this too mm. far. Up until that point, I was like, this is okay. I will take this as an adaptation of things. But there are a lot of moments of Alora's running through the woods. There's kind of this weird magical cut. And now she's, the lighting's different. Yeah. And she's hanging out with these two lesbian woodworkers and they talk in a completely different way and they're wearing blue jeans and they seem entirely different than everybody else we've ever met and then they're killed and none of this means anything to the actual plot of the story we get no closure or resolution was this magic was it hallucination was it Gaia talking what was it it was nothing apparently it was nothing what the fuck was it and there's too many moments like that in Willow of just like what the fuck was Willow's flamethrower you can't just turn to the audience and Man, say, don't really worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. The fact it's that they said, don't worry about it. That was to the audience. Yeah. That was them saying to the audience, we don't know either. Yeah, we want to show you something cool. We want to have a cool flamethrower shot, so we're going to have it. And Willow's going to wear this backpack the entire time. Is it a backpack? Is it a flamethrower? Yeah. Is it magic? Is it not? I don't fucking know because one minute you say Willow can't do magic and the next minute he can. So I don't fucking know what the rules are because you won't stick to any of them. Yeah. Commit. That's that's my final edit. Commit to what you're doing. My final edit is unfuck it for season two. Yeah. You have a lot of fixing to do on this series and hopefully you listen to this show mm-hmm. because... And also, I gotta admit... I usually don't look at online reviews. This thing is getting crushed. Is it? Is it getting hammered? Hammered. Oh, boy. By people who are like, this is just dumb. Mm -hmm. And I could not agree more. Well, Willow wasn't hugely popular when it came out. It wasn't, but it was... It's kind of like how... I don't know if I I just have a thing for cult movies. It's kind of the same as the Monster Squad. To where when it first came out, it didn't do well. But over the years, the cult following oh, it has a cult was following. insane. Oh, yeah. It, it has like a Princess Bride Big Lebowski cult following. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I forget. I actually saw an interview that happened a few years ago with um, Warwick Davis and Val Kilmer. It must have been. It was before the Val Kilmer had all of his surgeries because yeah. he was normal. Um, but I forget that uh, Warwick Davis was 17 when they filmed Willow. Yeah, he was so young. He was young. young. He was so young. And he pulled it off. Oh, yeah. He seemed like a, a 25, 30-year-old yeah. man in that. So. Yeah. His wife didn't, but. Um, she looked older. She looked a lot older than She looked did. a lot older, She looked yeah. a lot older. So, that's our Willow review. Yeah. I I just want, I want more and less at the same time. Yeah. I want more of the good stuff, less of the bad stuff. 
Can we talk about something good now? Yeah, let's talk about something good. Can we bring Kelly in? I was about to say, do you want to come in, Kelly, and we'll talk about Matilda? Okay. Right. So we're going to bring Matilda in... the Musical. Matilda the Musical. We're going to bring in our resident Stan Kelly, and she's going to join us for our conversation. One of the many things that Kelly specializes in is musical theater. Yes. She hello. has met Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes. Um, so, like... I don't think you got lunch with him, but you met him. You, yeah. you talked to him. So hilarious story. Uh, my mom and I went on a trip to New York City, mm-hmm. and we saw a different show. And when that show was over, I was like, hey, there's this little musical. It's a few blocks away. They're also getting out soon. But I'm telling you, Mom, this guy in this show, he's going to be big one day. And she's like, all right, we'll was do it. Was it in the Heights? It was, in, it was when In the Heights was first on Broadway. It had gotten his Tony, but you know, it was before he got really big, and he was delightful and courteous, and met with every single person at that backstage door. That's awesome. Including us, who we didn't even go see the show. <laughs> I'm so sorry! <laughs> I, it's the thought that counts. Yeah, yeah, I had a little, I have a little autograph book at home, and I have a few autographs <clears throat> on there, uh, including his. Nice. So, yeah, so those are her credentials, if yeah. anybody is doubting. And for I, me, I did theater, and I'm in music, and yeah. all this other stuff. Yeah, for me, I'm very biased, because I love musicals to death. One of my favorite movies is Singing in the Rain. I was going to say and, Singing in the Rain. Um, oh, yeah. Hairspray. The mu- I absolutely adore Hairspray. I also have a Singing in the Rain story, mm. oh, yeah. sort of. My grandma. Oh, I was going to say, you didn't meet Gene Kelly, but your no. grandma almost did. My grandma almost did. Really? So my grandmother grew up in New York City, okay. in the East Village, um, around the time when... In the Ukrainian district. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, around all that time. And, you know, she was also big into music, so she thought Gene Kelly was hot, hot shit. Oh, he was the man. Yeah. So when they were filming on the town in New York City, she was walking down the street and she remembered passing, like, these... She passed two sailors. Was it him and Sinatra? It was him and Sinatra. Oh my god! They they went to go buy apples like in between takes mm-hmm. at like an apple seller. She passed by them, and she kind of stopped. And she was like, "Those two guys seemed way too attractive to just be sailors." She turned around and she was like, "Oh my god!" So she didn't like go up to him or anything because she was so yeah. she was like a teenager, like she was starstruck. But but. Still, just absolutely delightful. Well, I the thing about Gene Kelly, and I love everything Gene Kelly. Watching him dance, he it looks effortless. It looks oh, yeah. effortless. And that's Truly why it's so effortless, good. which is amazing. Because you think about how difficult the stuff he did. Yeah. Holy cow! But yeah, getting back to musicals. Yeah, yes. love musicals. Because so. we could talk about Gene Kelly for days. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, Gene Kelly is like Superman flying. He can just. It's easier for him to dance than it is to walk. He has to think about walking. He exactly. just moves by dancing. Exactly. For sure. Um, so Matilda, this is, it's not a remake, but you know, everyone, when they hear Matilda, they think about the Danny DeVito movie from the 90s, 92, right? I think it was in the 90s. Something like that. And great movie, love it. This is more in line with like a true adaptation of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is also the adaptation of the Broadway musical. From yes. yes. So this was, yeah, this was a very successful Broadway musical Yes. Uh, back in the early 2010s. I remember seeing so it a is lot a little, of pluses for it. Mm-hmm. It is a little darker than yep. the original, yes. but holy shit. Every Roald Dahl story is a little dark. Yeah. Yeah, even the, the um, James and the Giant, Giant Peach, Peach, which is such a great movie. Yeah. Man, it, it's dark. It's dark, especially in the beginning. I remember I remember the first time I read that book, I, I read the opening, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's orphaned because his parents get run over by rhinos. And I'm like, 
what the fuck? His parents get run over by rhinos. What the fuck happened? That and then is... he's pretty much tortured by his yes. aunt. So like, holy Jesus. No, every every Roald Dahl yeah. story is dark and twisted. Yeah. But this is so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. The music, the the performances. Oh, the performances are so good. Emma Thompson. Everybody. Oh, everybody, but the her. Cast, the casting was really holy well done. Shit. Yeah, I, I love, the villains are all great. Specifically, Emma Thompson and the dad. But uh, the the dad is just funny to watch. He he's a great character actor. Stephen Graham. Yeah, I've seen him. I've yeah. seen him in other stuff. Well, he he's in my opinion, he'll always be from Snatch. Yeah, the Guy Ritchie movie. Yes, he's Turkish's. Uh, he's the side guy. Side guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's and he's great. He plays a con man, and and he's great. Um, but like, Lashana Lynch. Oh my, oh my God. God, is Miss Honey. <laughs> How perfect was she? She's so good. And I don't think we can say enough about Alicia Weir. I think that's how you say her name. The the girl who oh, actually the girl played plays Matilda. Matilda. Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. She is in, encapsulating in, in this amazing... She's Irish. Is she? Mm-hmm. She is just a little spunk bomb. I, I can oh, yeah. see her being in Hollywood for the next 20 mm-hmm. years. But see, like the thing with me is... The one that really stuck out was Lashana Lynch. Because yeah. Yeah. I've only seen her really in Miss Marvel... And um, the James Bond movie. Yes. Like, I've seen her in action roles. So for her to pull off this loving, caring, emotionally singing. destroyed, singing, unbelievable singing, but also, like, emotionally destroyed woman. Oh, my God. She was amazing. Yeah. This passive woman who always chooses to not fight back. Yes. She's just going to She's just gonna deal with whatever comes her way. And it's not that she doesn't want to fight. It's just that she doesn't she's passive she yeah. allows these things to happen instead mm-hmm. yeah um, but i i can't get over just how how well they translated these sequences from like whatever they did in the stage musical which is probably definitely mm-hmm. different than what they do for the movie but god they make the most out of having it be a fucking movie the whole intro sequence oh my god the the use of the color palettes in the hospital mm-hmm. and then the Wormwoods and how their color palette is so much weirder from everything else going on. It conflicts not just with the world around them, but it conflicts with each other. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, their Terribly. costumes don't look good against each other, yeah. and they don't work with anything that's going on in the world. And you really get a sense of, these people are not good people. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they are outliers And a little costume thing that I absolutely loved with Stephen Graham, who plays Mr. Wormwood, how they give him that mouthful of, like, caps. Yeah. It just fit the character so perfect. Yes. I was like, oh, my God, he looks like a used car salesman yeah. douchebag. Yeah, he has, like, the weird dentures in. That yeah. Like, oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. No, I, I loved it. The, I thought that was great. One fun thing, which you might appreciate, because I don't know if you know this, so that finale song, mm. You're Holding My Hand, that was written for this movie. Really? It was not in the original stage production. In that spot, there was a reprise of uh, When I Grow Up. Okay. But the, the original songwriter, he was like, yeah, I'll write a thing for this movie. Oh and they God. threw it in. And I think it's perfect. It's really oh, it's so perfect. And the casting, I know we've talked about the mains. I appreciate that they still used, like, they didn't age up the kids. No. Yeah. And all of the kids, Those kids were are... unbelievable. Yeah. They nailed it. Like, ever, even the little some... side, you barely know these characters. They were, like, how scared they were of Turnbull. And how they, just their singing and dancing was 
awesome. They got some really dedicated theater kids. Oh yeah, that was and one it's of the great. That was one of the only complaints I had was by the end of the movie there were a lot of kids in the school that I wanted to have more mm. information on, like who they were. Like they keep cutting back to this girl with the red beret, and you're like. I feel like by the end of the movie, we should know more about her than we do. Yeah. Is she a bully? Is she not? Is she just an upperclassman? Where does she fit in this whole hierarchy? And, uh, you know, ultimately, it's it's not a big deal because mm. at the end of the day, the everybody's celebrating, whether yeah. they're bullies or, or nerds or wherever and they fit on the scale. There's so much else that you are absorbing anyway. Yeah. All the, the different storylines and the... It's just interesting because she has a cast and like there's clearly she has a, a bit in her song about hockey sticks and I'm just like, I feel like there's something Who hurt else you? here. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> what is going on here? I feel like I need to know more. And I did appreciate how going into like the darkness of it where in the first movie when Matilda realizes her powers, they do that fun scene with the dancing and their mm -hmm. fun music. But here it's like dark still. Like, she realizes she has these powers, but it's never a fun scene. Well, it's like, even the way they describe it, there's there's something very rolled doll about the, the conversation she has with Miss Honey, mm. where she uses the description that the little kid who's trying to lift the can with his own mind uses, where he's like, your brains come out through your eyes and mm -hmm. move things. Yeah. And Miss Honey's like, yeah, that's exactly what happens. I'm like, I don't know that that's exactly what happens. Yeah. But I, I've been listening to this soundtrack on repeat all week uh, and that song that song she sings right before mm. she shows that she has powers that beginning section that's like very turbulent and everything god it, it's that kid is having a panic attack that's yeah. what's happening yeah yeah <laughs> like oh my gosh and i just love you know i call me a rabble rouser i i'm one of those people that tends to push back i didn't used to be mm -hmm. but I, i've become one of those people that kind of pushes back when I see something wrong. And I kind of like that that's the message of this movie is that it's not enough to be nice. You can be nice, but when you see something's wrong, you need to do something yeah. about it. And uh, it just, I love that song that she has about being a little bit naughty. And like everything about the sequence, whether it's her sneaking through the house, mm. uh, the, the dad with the hair and everything. Oh yeah, break the, the rules, but have a good fucking reason. Yeah. yeah. And like the, the dance she does with the bird on top of the house. Mm -hmm. like everything. I love that sequence. I think that's just a really fun sequence. Yeah. And that's the thing about this movie. I, I've gone back and I have watched it a second time. I don't think there's a part of this movie I criticize. There's really not. I don't There's have any. Really the, not. The pacing. The yeah. Pacing oh, it's is great. Fantastic. And it's a longer movie. It's like yeah. two hours and nineteen minutes yeah. or something like that. And I was gonna say the the stuff with the acrobat and the escape artist. Oh my god. Is one oh of those things god. that on the rewatch I could see that being boring. Of like, okay, but it is such a great reveal. Yeah. When it happens, you're like, oh shit, son. You're realizing how powerful she is. Yeah. That she's seeing. Well, it's funny because I made a joke to Kelly. So so full disclosure, me and Kelly, while we love many things. We did not watch the original Matilda from the 90s. Neither one of us has really seen it. Mm. Uh, that's just one of our little gaps in our knowledge base. So, like, our understanding of what Matilda is is kind of fundamentally different than yeah. everybody else. Like, yeah. we know the Danny DeVito story of her of him taking care of the girl and, and all that other stuff. We know that he that she has powers and that there's a, a mean yeah. teacher that throws people by their pink tails. Yes. That kind of thing. But, like, I jokingly turned to Kelly... And she, when, when Matilda's telling the story to the librarian, the librarian's like, where do you come up with these great ideas? I jokingly turn to Kelly and I'm like, oh, she has a little door in the back of her head that connects to a parallel universe and it just feeds all the way into her brain. 
No, that's actually what's happening. <laughs> that whole dynamic between her and the librarian too yeah. was so great. Like I could watch a movie of just the two of them having like yeah. these yeah. discussions and creating these stories and oh my god. Well, it the idea so of, good. I, I love the idea that you had of she needs to set them up. I want to set the teacher and the librarian oh, up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's go. But see, and that's and that's the thing that I appreciated more about this because in the original movie they just show matilda going to a library mm-hmm. and getting out books and she does meet a librarian but it's it's nothing like it's not a relationship they don't that relationship with the librarian mm-hmm. and the traveling library and it makes it seem magical yeah it's so good and what else i like about it is it shows that even before she started attending school there was at least one adult in her life that was like, are you okay? And was You supportive. don't seem okay. And mm. was supportive. Yeah. And filled a gap. Yeah. And that's why Matilda just kept going back. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, I love just little silly things. Again, mm. this comes back down to the writing of Roald Dahl. But things like the dad always calling her boy. I fucking love that. Like, that's such an easy, succinct way to mm. show who he is as a character. And... Just, like, the, one of the very few things was that at the end of the movie when he kind of is like, oh, I don't know if I want to let her go. I was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> this guy just, he, he, the moment the teacher's like, oh, I could take care of her, I expected him to be like, oh, fuck yeah. You, you take care of her. She's your problem now. God, but that that whole part where the dad finally addresses her as his daughter. Yeah. She's like, now hold on, just a ding-dong moment. Mm-hmm. And that that oh, I it it takes that conflict, the internal conflict, and it bakes it in an oven, and it's like oh yeah, yeah, like let's go, yeah, flash fries it. And what's yeah. funny is they change that dynamic around because in the original movie, it's more Rhea Perlman who plays the mother is reluctant a little bit to let her go, to where in this one the mother's like, Fuck I don't that. give a shit, like yeah. she didn't even get out of the truck. Yeah, it's the dad, and it's like. It's, it was interesting to me how that dynamic got got swapped a little. Yeah. You know what it is? I think it's that a lot of the pranks that she played at home were on the dad. Yes. So it was more of a moment of kind of making up. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that nice moment where she unglues the hat from his head. Oh, that was awesome. I just oh. like, there's just so many nice what little a, what a parting gifts. All, so all the things I found horrifying as a kid about Roald Dahl stories. The, the idea of a, a dad having a hat glued to his head and... You know, the teacher throwing people by their pigtails. Like, all these things that I've You're I found... getting bullied. You should tell a teacher. Yeah. Maybe the headmistress. Yeah. Hmm. I, I Everything I found reprehensible as a child about Roald Dahl stories, I'm like, this is fucking great. Well, I get it now. And this is what I think helped my kids be okay with some of the darker tone, is that it was a musical. Yeah. yeah. And if they could take some of these stories that are darker and make them musicals and make them good musicals, good musicals, it does take away from some of the scarier parts. I would like, I know they're working on a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. which we're going to see how that goes. Um, if they do that based on the Broadway musical, that could be something. That could be interesting. Because don't think I didn't notice Roll Doll Estate, mm. that you put a big fancy logo at the front of this. And on IMDb, it's listed as Roald Dahl's music, yeah. or Matilda the Musical. Matilda the Musical. Yeah. This is not dark, but um, some of the like less loved animated movies from the 90s have been brought into mm. musicals as of late, mm-hmm. especially animated ones. Hunchback. So the same group that 
adapted hunchback to the stage is doing Hercules. Ooh. Which... That could be know, interesting. It, yeah, See, it's, it's been a hot minute since Hercules has kind of been in the spotlight. Here's my thing with that, though. Yeah. Do you that, do I still love the music in that movie almost more than any Disney movie I've seen. For sure. They need to keep that tone. Like oh, yeah. the, like the, the R and B kind of Well that's this is what I was about to say is that some people don't really love that it has an entire gospel Oh my god. Because it it's kind of stealing from one culture and giving it to another to tell a story. Yeah. So like, I don't know, what do you do? Do you keep going with the gospel uh kind of choir mm. feel motif that you have going on? Do you try and, you know, swing more towards a more Middle ground? Do you just include more African Americans in the cast? You know what I want? You know what I'd really love? Mm. Is if they actually got to sing in Greek for certain Mm. parts. That'd be really swanky. Because there was a production a few years ago and then they brought it back. Mm. There's a production of Fiddler on the Roof that's done in Yiddish. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Which is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But. If if they had some of the like gospel stuff and there were like parts that were in Greek or something, I think that would be really yeah. cool. But speaking of Greek Greek and Grecian art, mm. the um, Greek choir of the children in the school, how oh great were oh, they? Yeah. How great were they? That opening, nice segue. yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that good. That Pulling opening, us back into focus. That opening bit when they're going to school for the first time and the kids are just moving cross against each other behind this gate and it's just there's so many dances in this that are hypnotic is the word i keep coming back to it's just the the last second to last song the revolting children which i've had playing in my head for like three days now um (laughs) the the dance that they do down the choreography is is unbelievable being led by the girl in the red beret exactly it's so So hypnotic you're just like watching it and you can't stop yeah and, and just, the and the song <clears throat> earlier when they're like literally going through the alphabet, yeah, like I want to find this fucking lyricist and shake his goddamn hand. I will say, and I, I told you about this. It was funny oh, yeah. the the first time we were watching it. It didn't really, I didn't really notice it. It just kind of popped into my head, but I, I didn't really think anything of it. And then the second time we were watching it, I was trying to figure it out. And they're going through the alphabet, and I'm like, they keep skipping Z. It's really weird that they don't say <laughs> Z. And then I'm like. Oh, dumb fucking American. Fizz Zed. They're saying Zed. Mm-hmm. You dumb American bastard. <laughs> dumb American bastard. <laughs> no, I, um, it, the funny thing about it is the tone of some of the scenes in the school, it brought me right back. Have you ever seen the video for Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd? No. Oh, Where yeah. the kids are marching in their little outfits yep. saying, we don't need no oh, education. Yeah. I was like, that was, like, if you are a Pink Floyd fan, which I, they're my favorite band ever, and you have watched that video and heard that song, that's the tone of this school. Yeah. Was Especially at the end when they're ready to fight back. Yeah. Like, I could hear them almost saying, we don't need no thought control. It's like, yeah. that's what they're doing. Speaking of tangent, speaking of old music videos. Oh, yes. I discovered something, and this is news that I think Steve needs, and I think your viewers need. Um, Hans Zimmer. Yes. Love him. Love him. Yes. Very early in his career, he was a keyboardist for a band 
called the Buggles. The Buggles? Do you know who the Buggles are? No. They do Video Killed the Radio Star. <gasps> he was the keyboardist for that? He's in the music video for that goddamn song. Which was as... the very first video ever played on MTV. So, so nice little piece of trivia. Movie trivia. That's right up there with uh, <laughs> Oingo Boingo. And, uh, yeah. What's his face? Danny Elfman on Oingo Boingo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. up there with that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Zimmer. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That is so nuts. See, now I want just a version of that song where every once in a while you just get the Inception. Just... Oh, my God. Or just some of the weird music engineering he's done. <laughs> the razor blades on cello strings. Whatever you want. Oh, my God. Smashing. That's fun. That's yeah. awesome. But, yes. but anyways. But anyways. Matilda, I give this... The biggest A plus. Yeah. That I could possibly. Once again, this was knocking on the door of the Batman for my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. And it was it was so close. We watched it twice this week. Yeah. I would also I, give it an A plus. I just like it just is really good. It's it's one of those movies I didn't expect to love. I expected to enjoy it, but like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I really can't say anything bad about no. it. Everything about it's really good. And it's one of those rare kid movies where it's like. I'm actually okay with my kids watching this because mm -hmm. I don't feel like they're losing brain cells. Yeah. I was going to say, this is such a beautiful intersection of being a good movie, a good movie musical, and a good movie musical that's kind of targeted toward kids. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, when I Grow Up is such a kid-centric song oh, yeah. that it's, every adult just pulls you right back to being I was going to say, it, it has the Pixar effect where yeah. the kids are enjoying it and the adults in the back are like, ow, my heart. And then you get Lashana Lynch at the end being like, when I grow up, and you're like, yeah, that's me. That's yeah. me right there. It's when I grow up, I'm going to do all these things. Yeah. As a 35-year-old man. Lashana Lynch. Oh, God. I can't get and over like, her. And, like, her and Emma Thompson just really, oh, they're God. so what? fucking good. Yeah. Emma Thompson, we haven't really mentioned her. I feel like we should talk about how good she is because she is so good. A joy. The second musical number she has, she has two musical numbers. Yes. Which, that's how you know she's great, is that you? she has the second musical number yeah. in the middle of that phys ed scene. And then there's like a, a fantasy element of it too. And like the entire time, in a dress. The entire time you never are like, yeah, no, this this breaks. It's the entire time you're like, yeah, cool. Go yeah. for it. This is great. I, I my kind of thinking with that is the longer Matilda's there, the more she's kind of infecting everybody mm. with her imagination and mind and whimsy. I just assume it's musical rules. Where when people are singing, sure. the rules don't necessarily always apply. Yeah. yeah. I but like at the same time, you know she had explosives in that oh, obstacle yeah. course. Those explosions were very real. I do want to see the the making of for this. Yeah, I, I mm. want to know because I saw a clip of them rehearsing that was on a green screen, mm -hmm. but I a lot of this looked practical. It did. A lot of this looked very practical. So. There were some scenes. The scene of Matilda dancing on the roof of the house looked green screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's child safety. Yeah. Yeah. Totally good. valid. Totally good. Um, but at, uh, the stuff at the school, I don't know where the green screen may have ended and where the reality may have begun. How much of it was sets, how much mm -hmm. of it wasn't. You know, we were talking about that opening sequence. We know they probably color corrected it, mm -hmm. but how much of that set looked well, like that? How much of it, yeah. What what was the actual production of this like? Because I really want to know. It looks amazing. And I did appreciate in in the first movie, you kind of find out early on that Trunchbull is Miss Honey's aunt. Mm -hmm. oh. But in this one, they held that. They held that close to the chest. And I like how they used a different actress yeah. in the storyline to play 
And even when you realize that, exactly, similar but not quite, and then when you realize that it's a real story, they still don't show it as Trunchbull. And you're like, for those of us that knew, we were like, yeah, we know it's Trunchbull. But then they reveal it like right at the end, and it's it's like, oh, that's awesome. It's not until Matilda herself realizes. It's a really satisfying. Oh, my God. So satisfying. How great are all the sequences that take place in Matilda's head? Mm -hmm. All of them are so good. And the way that all the characters just kind of jump into them, like mm-hmm. the, the, I love that the librarian is so invested. Oh yeah, in everything that's happening, hanging on every word, yeah. and it just. Uh, and yeah. I love how that Matilda places it where she goes, "What happens in the story?" She's like, "I don't know." No, yeah. and like it's like it hasn't come yeah. to me yet, and yeah. it's like that's awesome. I love that's it. a great way yeah. to show that. I one thing I love about just Matilda's character mm-hmm. in general is not only is she like very nice and very smart is she's an amazing, like, storyteller. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is kind of nice for a child character to have. Yeah, a female child character. Yeah. Especially a lot of stuff we've talked about over the last year is how they dumb down kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is the, like, opposite of everything we've complained about. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Gen Z... If Trunchbull is global warming, this is Gen Z being like, wake up, sheeple! Yeah, (laughs) Get involved! No, but what this, what this, especially this segment of this episode tells me is we got to do a musical episode. Someday. Oh yeah, yes. that's yes. got to be because I, I, any excuse for me to watch because I've been planning on trying to get my kids to sit down in front of Singing in the Rain, and any way to get that to happen sooner than later. Yeah. I recommend if you want something that might might help them ease into musicals, mm. show them. Uh, State Fair first. Okay. Because State Fair, there's like a romance subplot, mm. but it's it's very Americana. There's some alcohol jokes, but they won't get it, and mm. that's totally fine. I watched it so much mm-hmm. that I, that's probably the movie I've watched the most. Well, beating out singing in the. Well, movie. I am grateful for YouTube because I did show them the Donald O'Connor make them laugh. Yeah. Oh, excellent! Holy shit, they were like all into that, yeah. and I'm like. And For sure. I'm thinking, like, not only that, but they'll laugh when they hear, um, I can't remember her name, the lead actress. Lena Lamont. Lena Lamont and her, hi, boys. And I, know, I can just hear my son laughing his ass off, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to show it to him. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. it. Oh, I love that movie so I can't much. stand it. I could watch. There's actually a funny super tangent. This was in the early 90s. I used to get together with my friends and watch the Oscars. And this has gone down in history with my group of friends. It was after Gene Kelly died. They were doing this retrospective on him during the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And that's all I wanted to watch. And they were all like talking and joking during it. And I was like, shut the fuck up. I want to hear Gene Kelly. And I got made fun of forever after that. And to this day, they're like, oh, Stephen Gene Kelly. It's like, no, dude, you don't understand. That's all I wanted to see. And they talked through it. I was so mad. Uh, and just, you know, if you're going to throw hands over somebody, Gene Kelly's Gene Kelly's the one to throw yeah, hands over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even so. Xanadu, Gene Kelly, still got something. You know, I haven't seen Xanadu. I haven't heard anything good it's, to make me run towards Xanadu. But it's interesting. The most I've heard that intrigues me is tightrope roller skating. Yeah. There's a lot of roller skating. Yeah, in there's a lot of roller skating in Xanadu. That's and what it's, I've heard. 
A lot of Gene Kelly roller skating in Xanadu. Uh, I feel like that would kind of diminish his dancing abilities. He was wearing a suit, so I don't know. Yeah. That's I think that's about it for, for Matilda and for this show. I yeah, think. this was a good episode. Yeah. We, I, I didn't realize we were going to go so in-depth with Willow, but I'm glad No, I'm glad we did, too. I'm, I'm glad, glad we really, really glad we, we really unpacked that. Yeah. We, we went through a lot of stuff. That was a nice therapy session for you and oh me. Oh, my God. I need a lot more therapy after that. So this was episode 85. Thank you, Kelly, Thank for you, joining Kelly us for, for joining that last segment. Welcome. You always make our segments better. Yes. But this was episode 85. Please go back and listen to our back catalog. And if you are interested in finding out anything else about us individually, you can look me up at staylorbooks.com. I promise we're going to cover Bullet Train. It's becoming our white We are going to. <laughs> it's going to, to happen. Uh, you can find me at jetsumstudios.org under the Bronx Division tab. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great week, friends and enemies, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.